Well, today we continue our series in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Go ahead and turn there, if you would, with me. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. There's Psalms, then Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we have free copies at the Next Step area in the back of this room, and also on the chair rack in front of you. You can also download a digital version of the Bible by using the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or tablet. Back in 1989, a book was published that became a number one national bestseller. It was written by the late Stephen Covey. The book is entitled, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I I first read it in college. It was required reading for one of my classes. But one of the seven habits in the book, specifically habit number two, is this. Begin with the end in mind. Here's how Covey begins the chapter on this habit. He writes this. He says, in your mind's eye. See yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral, three years from today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. Wow, what what a sobering scene, huh? What if three years from today, on May 29th, 2025, people gathered for your funeral? Earlier this month, the Orville Ministry Network It's a group of local pastors. We had our monthly meeting at Ohio's Hospice Life Care in Worcester. Uh, David Hargrave is a bereavement counselor there. He is also a pastor at Salem Mennonite Church on Back Orville Road. But David hosted us at hospice that day and opened our time together with a passage of scripture. The passage was from Ecclesiastes 7. Are you there? Let's start at verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation for this section. Here's what it says. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, these verses at first glance do not make a lot of sense, right? I mean, how can the day of our death be better than the day of our birth? How can spending time at funerals be better than going to parties? How can sorrow be better than laughter? Solomon, the author here, has gone off his rocker, don't you think? But what David Hargrave shared with us pastors that morning is that these verses are really challenging us to look at our priorities in life. As we consider our own mortality, it helps us focus on what really matters. There is power in reflecting and taking action before life hurries away. You know, Memorial Day weekend 
gives us some added margin to do just that, to remember and reflect on life and death. I am so thankful for those who have served in our military forces and paid the ultimate price, giving their lives for the cause of freedom. Let's be sure to remember our fallen soldiers this weekend. And let's also pray for those who have lost loved ones in the recent shootings in Buffalo and Texas. Pray for God's comfort and for peace in our world. Solomon says, a wise person thinks a lot about death. And so as we continue our journey through Ecclesiastes, Solomon takes time to reflect on his life under the sun. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is his journal. It's his reflections as he looks back on the different things he pursued and experienced. If you fast forward a couple chapters to Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon begins his final conclusion. Here's what he writes in verse 1. He says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. Solomon says, I'm reflecting on what I've learned, and here it is. You know, you, you can learn a lot about a person from what they say at the end of their life and reflect on it. When, when Harriet Tubman was dying in 1913, she gathered her family around and they sang together. Her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. Leonardo da Vinci was overly modest with his final words. He said this, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I guess the Mona Lisa wasn't good enough. But my favorite last words are from Buddy Rich. Uh, Rich is considered to be the most influential drummer of all time. He died after surgery in 1987. As he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? Rich replied, yeah, country music. <laughs> and all God's children said, you're supposed to say amen, okay? <laughs> amen, absolutely. True story, I love that. Well, one more, General John Sedgwick, he was a Union commander in the Civil War, and he was lined up ready for battle. His troops were telling him they were too close to the enemy. And General Sedgwick's final words were this, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Well, fortunately, after a lifetime of some bizarre and incredible decisions, Solomon chose his words much more carefully. After his search for happiness and satisfaction ended, which we have talked about over the last couple weeks, he reflects on life and gives some last words, which contain some lessons for us today. Here, here's the first one there on your outline. Write this down. Number one. First lesson, as Solomon reflects, is this. This is your one and only life. Enjoy it. Now, on a scale of one to ten, one being not at all, and ten being all the time, how much would you say you're enjoying life right now? Where are you on the joyometer? See, no matter how long or short our time on earth is, and regardless of our circumstances, it is possible to have joy if we'll remember the takeaway from last Sunday, which was what? I'm sure you remember it, right? 
that only in God can you find true happiness. Only in God can you find true happiness. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 and 8 tell us, tell us this. It says, go, eat your food with gladness. Maybe even your favorite dish, right? And drink your wine with a joyful heart, but not too much. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now, back in this day, white garments, in contrast to black, represented a celebratory mood. And the white garments would also reflect the heat in a hot, dry climate. Oil would also protect the skin. And so wearing white and having oil on your head were signs of happiness and celebration. Solomon continues in verse 9. He says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love, or your husband, or your family. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Now, that, that, does, that doesn't sound very joyful, really, does it? There is a sense in which this life is meaningless compared to the next life. The next life where we'll experience unimaginable happiness and joy with God. For now, the Bible says that as followers of Jesus, we are aliens and strangers in this world. But while we are here, we must make the most of it because this is our one and only life on earth. You know what I think? I think disciples of Jesus should have more fun and joy than any other people on this planet. Why is that? Well, it's because our past is forgiven and our future is settled. If you have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, your past is forgiven and your future, future is settled, right? But what happens? What happens is sometimes we allow the circumstances of life to get us down. I know I do. And it saps our joy. There are times when we don't look very joyful, have you seen the t-shirt that says, if you have Jesus down in your heart, then please notify your face. <laughs> I know I've got to work at this because my natural default facial expression doesn't look very joyful. How about you? But you know, it's amazing what a simple smile can do. I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and smile. Go ahead. Just smile at them. There you go. What, what happens? What happens? Yeah, they smile back, right? It's contagious. It's contagious. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.17. It says, command those who are rich, who are rich in this present world, which would be all of us really here this morning, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our enjoyment. See, whether it's food and drink, whether it's your spouse and family, whether it's your job, your health, these are gifts from God to be enjoyed in this, your one and only life. Here's a second lesson. Second lesson is life is short, seize the day. 
If you have a chance to do something, do it now, because who knows what the future will bring, right? Look at verse 10 there in Ecclesiastes 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Now, Bible commentators, they refer to this passage that we're looking at today as one of the carpe diem passages in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's actually five different carpe diem passages in Ecclesiastes. And these passages, they call us to live in the moment, to make the most of the present, to seize the day. But how do we do that? You know, I visited a website this week that had some sobering statistics. Take a look at this. Right now, the world population is nearing 8 billion people. Did you know that? We're right, real close to 8 billion people. People born today with no access to the message about Jesus is over 131,000. And the people that are going to die today without Christ is nearly 90,000. 90,000. In Matthew 9, Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, according to Jesus, the harvest is not the issue. It is plentiful. The issue is we need more workers. We need followers of Jesus like you and me who will go out into the harvest field and make disciples. We need people who will view themselves as missionaries where they live and work, who will be bold enough to seize the day to show and share Jesus with those around them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And because life is short, we must seize the day with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, so that they might come to know Christ. Here's the next lesson from Solomon, number three. Life is a marathon Stick with it. You know, the late Eugene Peterson said that following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. It reminds those of us who have accepted Christ that we are in it for the long haul. That we have committed to faithfully follow Jesus. Pastor and author Chuck Swindoll has said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. See, you and I, we will face obstacles and challenges. It's all in how we approach them. Look at verse 11, Ecclesiastes 9. Solomon reminds us, he says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. In other words, it's not necessarily those who are more able or gifted that reap the benefits of life. I mean, we would expect the fastest person to win the race, right? Or the most seasoned and powerful warriors to win a battle. 
or the most mentally competent to have the best parts of life, but that's not always the case. See, regardless of the best planning and effort, strange things can still happen. For example, if you're into sports like I am, how about the March Madness basketball tournament every year. It's, it's the annual year-end college basketball tournament. There are always upsets and surprises no one can predict, right? I have never won our bracket competition on staff. I'm starting to get a little bitter about that. But life is kind of like a March Madness bracket, right? I mean, it's filled with mountaintops. It's filled with valleys. It is a marathon. And you see, life is, is not about one spectacular moment, but what is it about? Instead, life is about the daily grind over time. I think that's why Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's a daily grind. It's it's a daily yielding of our life. And I've got to tell you that there are many examples of this that I can think of right here at OCC. I think of a young man named Adam right now who is undergoing kidney dialysis and awaiting a transplant. I think of a a sweet lady named Carolyn who fell a few days ago and dislocated her shoulder, fracturing some of the bone. I think of an older gentleman here at OCC named Roger who has been an elder, Sunday school teacher, heavily involved in missions. He has been battling cancer and there's not much more the doctors can do. I I think of numerous widows and widowers who are daily dealing with sorrow and a sense of loneliness. Man, life is a marathon. And by God's grace, these men and women are sticking with it. And I hope you will too. Well, here's one final lesson Solomon shares. Here it is. Number four. Your hour will come. Be ready for it. Your hour will come. Be ready for it. You know, the stats on death are pretty impressive. One out of every one dies. Reminds me of the guy who went to the doctor to get the results of his annual physical. His doctor met with him and said, I'm sorry, Bill, I've got some bad news The tests show that you have a terminal disease. You only have six months to live. Bill let the news sink in and and he asked, he said, man, is there anything I can do? Any experimental drugs, any treatment? There has to be something I can try. Well, the doctor thought for a moment and said, well, there is one thing. You can move to the country and buy a pig farm and raise pigs. Then you can find a woman who has six kids under the age of seven Marry her and bring all of them to live with you on the pig farm. Well, Bill looked puzzled and said, and that will help me live longer? The doctor said, no, but it will seem like the longest six months of your life. (laughs) Look at verse 12, Ecclesiastes 9. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net... Or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. No one knows when their hour will come. But it will come. The question is, are you ready? 
You see, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed for men and women to die once, but after this, the judgment. You see, the, the devil won't tell you there's no hell. He won't even tell you that there's no heaven, but he will tell you that there's no hurry. Don't believe him. You and I have no idea when we'll be called home. Well, Stephen Covey continues with the scene at your funeral. Here's what he writes. He says, as you take a seat and wait for the services to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first is from your family, immediate and also extended family, who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply, Covey continues, what would you like each of these speakers to say about you in your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What kind of character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? As Solomon says, a wise person thinks a lot about death. This is your one and only life. Enjoy it. Life is short, seize the day. Life is a marathon, stick with it. Your hour will come, be ready for it. We're gonna close our services today with a couple songs. Like Solomon, I hope that you'll take time to reflect and think about your life and how you can make it count for God and his glory. This is also an opportunity for you to respond. You can make a commitment to Christ or his church by going back to the next step area in the back of this room. For those joining us online, please leave us a comment and someone will reach out to you. As we sing, I want to encourage all of us to think about what our next step toward Jesus is today. And let's live with the end in mind. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this one and only life that you have given us. I pray that we would not only hear your word today, but that we would take it and that we would do something with it. We come to, come to you now, Father, as we respond. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.